You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, Asbury. I'm so excited to be up here today, and I'm so grateful for Nick and Rayma uh, for asking me to share this morning. Um, I never thought I would be speaking out of student stories, but here we are. If you all would have been around Asbury's campus this summer, uh, you would have seen me and the Asbury summer ministry team leading music at different camps um, that Asbury hosted on campus. Uh, And each time we would get to uh, lead music for a new group, we would go around and introduce ourselves, and my team can probably quote my intro. Uh, It went something like this. Hello, my name is Rachel Ferguson. I am a junior here at Asbury University. I am a worship arts major, and I have a stutter. So any blocks or repeats that you hear is because of that. So surprise, (laughs) surprise, I have a stutter. I have stuttered since I was five or six years old. Um, And it has definitely been a journey for me. My senior year of high school, I decided to join a speech and debate club, and I wrote my informative speech on my stutter. I gave it at a couple tournaments, I uh, gave it at my church, and then I set it aside because I thought, you know, that was the end of it, that was, this life was unessentially. But, it's, it's truly amazing what God will keep bringing back into your life. This past spring break, I went on tour with the tumbling team, and Grace uh, brought my speech up, and I ended up giving it at the end of the week. And then about a month later, a gym jam happens, and I give it again there. And uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to share that speech with you all. It's a description of stuttering, but it's also a story of my journey with stuttering, and it's a picture of what God has taught me about myself and about him and his character and his promises. It truly gives testimony to the truth that God creates beauty and purpose from the broken. So, hello. My name is Rachel Ferguson, and I'm going to share with you my journey with the Lord. Moses said to the Lord, harden your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Exodus 4, 10 and 11. During Moses' conversation with God in the burning bush, Moses comes up with all manner of excuses not to lead the nation of Israel. One of these is his lack of eloquence or slowness of speech. Many people believe he had a stutter. Moses is far from the only person to struggle in this way. Many people have speech disfluencies of some sort. As a person who stutters, I know firsthand how the fear and anxiety of speaking can hold you back from even a simple conversation. Stuttering does not hinder everyone, however. There have been numerous people who have accomplished much despite a stammer. 
including political figures such as Winston Churchill and actors such as James Earl Jones and Emily Blunt. It is important for us to understand this commonly misunderstood struggle and how it can develop a person's character because these people have voices that need to be heard. We will do this by debunking myths that surround stuttering, looking into the reality of a person who stutters, and examining the character traits and skills that result from such a life. So there are many myths surrounding stuttering from what causes it to its treatments and cures. Often stutters are told to relax and slow down when they're speaking in the belief that they're talking too fast. However, a person's rate of speed when speaking is not the cause of a stutter. In fact, the person may be speaking more quickly to avoid getting caught in a stutter. A common myth is that a person only stutters because he is shy or lacks confidence. <laughs> this is simply not true. There is a wide range of personality types among stutters, um, and often it is the reaction of the listener that affects the speaker's confidence. Lastly, many people believe that a stammer can be cured with the right treatment. However, stammering is not an illness. Although, yeah, stammering is not an illness and there is no cure. So what is the reality of stutters? Uh, for one thing, they don't stutter or stutter severely all the time. Uh, like an ocean wave, it undulates in severity and frequency. Often a stammer becomes worse when the person is stressed, nervous, or tired. People do not stammer when they sing, and at times they're able to speak fluently when reciting a memorized piece or lines in a play. Each person has their own unique stutter. Some tend to repeat sounds, syllables, or words. Some stutters block on consonants, and no sound comes out for the duration of the block. Some disfluencies manifest themselves in physical forms, such as seizure-like head movements and some may have a combination of these patterns. Talking on the phone can be a nightmare for stutters because the person on the other end cannot see what is happening. So stutters fear that if they begin to stutter, they will never get their message across and the person they are speaking to will hang up on them. Um, on one occasion when I was in elementary school, I decided to call my grandparents. Uh, when my grandpa answered the phone, I could not reply to his hello, um, and eventually he hung up, believing no one was on the other end of the line. Ordering at a restaurant can be just as trying. In fear that he will begin to stammer, the person may change his, word f his order from one that is harder to say to an easier word. A few years ago, I ate lunch at a Culver's, and when it was my turn to order, I asked for a supreme chili. Uh, now, every time I began to say supreme, I would block, get stuck on the supreme. So finally, I gave up and I just asked for a regular chili. Uh, sadly, I did not get my cheese and sour cream that day. <laughs> a disfluency's negative effect can only go as far as that person allows. Once a stutter chooses to see his speech impediment as a blessing instead of a curse, uh, he can begin to glean the positive character traits that come from it. Often, stammers have a drive to do hard things. They are willing to push themselves in difficult speaking situations, knowing that the end result far outweighs the temporary struggle. This can give them a determination to go beyond their comfort zones in other areas of life. 
A few summers ago, I met a woman named Claire Weber who had graduated from Air Force basic training. Uh, Claire described her life during training, including her pursuit of a position that involved making announcements to her unit. Claire described how her supervising officer would yell at her to spit out her words when she was responding to his commands. Claire admitted that those weeks were often difficult, but she always had the end goal in mind, and that kept her moving forward. So we have uncovered falsehoods about stuttering, considered the life of the stutter, and discovered the positive character traits that a stutter brings to a person. These will help us to better comprehend the stutter and what they have to offer our world. As a stutter myself, I have begun to see the blessings that come with my disfluency. And I can truly thank God for how he's used it for good. Although we may never have all the answers, we can rest assured that God sees stutters and that he has a plan and a purpose for these people. He has a plan and a purpose for us. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. God doesn't promise fluency. What he does promise is his ever-present help. He does not promise that it will be painless, but he does promise to use it to further his kingdom and his purposes. Because this is true, stutters can live confidently and claim his promises. In Exodus 4.12, the Lord said to Moses, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight? or makes them blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and will teach you what to say. Thank you. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. This summer I had the opportunity to live alone in a basement apartment um, in Nashville. A generous couple offered to let me stay with them while I worked as an intern at a nonprofit called The Rabbit Room. Uh, everywhere I turned, I saw the provision of God. Um, doors flew open, there were connections, opportunities, on paper, my summer was incredible, but the truth is more complicated. I've never spent so much time alone in my life. At work, I was a nobody. I knew no one in Nashville, and I am naturally a lone wolf. I am introverted, shy, socially exhausted. I tried and failed to make friends and find community. I'd get home only to spend hours by myself, and in the silence, I was fighting a war. I struggled with doubt. Does God care about my sufferings here, I asked, and why do I struggle to hear his voice, and why is it easier to do evil than it is to do good? I wrestled temptation. God isn't going to give you what you're praying for, so you might as well take it. You're all alone. 
God doesn't care about you. Tangled up and overwhelmed by these thoughts and the weight of my own brokenness, I sink to one of my lowest bouts of despair. I am not after your pity. I am opening my pain to you so that you will also come to see and appreciate the hope that lives inside me. I share my pain because you are in pain too. And if you think that your pain or my pain is bad, then you have not stopped to consider the pain of the Father. Asbury, would you please pause a moment to hear my words? Would you listen to me and so let the tears I cried water the soil that you are growing in? University is, in many ways, like a wilderness. True, it is arguably one of the most exciting seasons of our lives. There are new relationships, opportunities, knowledge, dreams, but it is also very difficult. You leave your family's house and set out to build your own. For the first time, you sit at an empty dinner table. You must survive on your own. I want to speak into the stress and isolation that you are likely to encounter into this season. My prayer is that somehow my words might help you encounter God in the silence and find hope about an eternal home, even in the desert place. We live in a world of noise. Can you hear it? The air conditioning is humming. The TV is playing. We've got our headphones in. We don't like the silence. It's unproductive, boring. In the silence, those thoughts we've been avoiding rise to the surface. Isn't it a wonder then that Jesus began his ministry not in a fruitful garden like Adam or in a busy city like we might expect, but in the wilderness? Asbury, what if the reason we struggle to encounter God is because we are looking for him in the wrong place? A flower cannot grow unless a seed is first buried beneath the ground. The righteous man is not righteous because of the deeds done in public, but because of righteousness hidden within him. Likewise, God is invisible. He is found in the invisible places, the places that we are not seen, heard, and acknowledged by others. What I mean to ask is this. What if God is waiting for us in the wilderness? One of the most dangerous misconceptions people fall into is this idea that quiet time ought to be a time of peace and clarity and even revelation. Those moments do come, but not always. This summer, I've found little peace in my time alone. In truth, it was a war. But that does not mean it was not valuable. I want to give you three reasons why we should not flee from the wilderness and these times spent alone. Number one is prayer. The question is not, do you pray? The question is, to whom do you pray? And is that person alive, all-powerful, and ultimately good? Jesus teaches us that when we pray, we should close the door and do it in secret. Why? Because in the wilderness, we have no one to perform for. 
No one to impress. When we stand up in front of a crowd, we pray differently than if we are alone. In the hidden space, our true thoughts, questions, desires are free to roam, and our prayers become honest, which leads me to number two, introspection and depth. When we are hidden, our thoughts that are hidden rise to the surface of our minds and become exposed. Only then can we finally take them to account and thereby submit our broken parts to God's healing hand. When we come to God in our silent, lonely places, we give our souls over to the master surgeon and say, help me. Although it may be painful, the only way for God to heal us is if we expose all our hidden thoughts, fears, and desires before him. Number three, limitations. In the wilderness, we encounter our own limitations. Consider how God, when he sees Adam alone, says, it is not good for man to be alone. Or that Jesus declares, man shall not live by bread alone in the desert while fasting. In the wilderness, we discover who we are not, namely, that we are not God. We are powerless standing alone against the unpredictable forces of nature. We cannot govern our future. We are wholly dependent on God for our daily bread. It is only when we know our limitations and accept them that we are able to live into who we actually are. For we cease trying to be God, and in doing so, grant God his rightful place in our hearts. Finally, in the wilderness, we encounter the fact that we are not yet home. This world, this life, is fading under a curse. Alone, we feel that weight, and it ought to motion us toward that great still to come. In the book of Haggai, Haggai the prophet confronts the Jews who have recently returned from exile in Babylon. Their sin is this, building their own house while the house of God lies desolate. Haggai 1, 3 through 9 says, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. How many of us are guilty of this very same evil? The world teaches us that college is a time to build your own house, plan your career, find your spouse, save your money. We sit around fretting about these things. All the while, the house of the Lord lies desolate. What do I mean? 
I mean that we give God no space, no time, no room in our lives. We drown out our silences. We do not pray. We take what we want when we want it. In our sin, we push him out of our lives and say, you have no place here. Stop and consider God's pain. He created this world for good, but we have brought destruction and decay. He intended to dwell with us, but we have set out to build our homes without him. This is the love of the Father, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. Christ would go into the wilderness that we made, suffer and die, so that we might have the opportunity to come back home. God loved the world so much that he was willing to leave his home, walk among us, and die in order that we might have the opportunity to make our home with him. He says to us, you will not build me a house, I will build you a house. This is my invitation in Christ. Come home. God longs to be reunited with you. Stop trying to build your house on your own. Submit yourself to his care. To close, I'm not saying that it is wrong to plan or think or dream about the future. On the contrary, I understand. I am a senior. I'm graduating in December. I'm freaking out. These decisions have to be made. And I believe that God wants to meet us there as well. This summer, I would pace around that empty apartment that I was staying in and pray compulsively, God, I'm pacing around the foundations of my home. I know what it means to long for an earthly home, but I do want us to recognize that what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. And therefore, we ought to strive to live with our eyes fixed on that eternal home.